Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, today we're going to start off by talking about a book. And it's a very important book, but it's not the Bible. But it is a book in the Bible. And yet it's not one of the Gospels. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. And it's not one of the letters. It wasn't written by Paul or Peter or John. And it's not one of the Old Testament prophets. And it's not one of the books of Moses. But this book can be found in the Old Testament and it's found in the New Testament. Uh, Are you intrigued yet? We're going to be talking a a little bit about this book of life. Um, So it's not a book that that we read. It's a book that we pray that our names are written in. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus gave us a reason to rejoice. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about being enrolled in heaven. And in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we're given the image of a book that has the names written in it of all those who are faithful to Jesus. God knows if you belong to him. And if you belong to God, then your name is written in his book. And your name will not be blotted out of that book while ever you remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And so it's a very important book. Now, in today's reading, Paul gives us examples of Christian leaders um, who he says has laboured with him side by side in the gospel together. And he names one of them, Clement, and he says, with, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. All right, so he, he talks about these Christian leaders whose names are in this book of life. But does that mean that it's only Christian leaders and, and missionaries and preachers who have their names in this book? No, not at all. Um, I suspect that, that what Paul's doing here um, is he's wanting to acknowledge, because he's about to tell us a bit of a problem that's going on, um, I think he's wanting to acknowledge how even prominent Christian leaders and even people whose salvation is sure and they know that they're going to be in glory with Christ, even these people sometimes find themselves at odds with one another. And as Christians, if our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that means that we're going to be spending eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So is anybody hoping their names in that book? A oh, good, good. There's more, most of us. Excellent, excellent. Righto. Now here's the thing. 
if you're going to be spending eternity with Christ, and I'm going to be spending eternity with Christ, guess who else you're going to be spending eternity with? Me. And I'm going to be spending it with you. And you're going to be spending it with each other. All right? So it's probably pretty important that we actually learn to get on with each other now because we're going to be spending eternity with each other. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed that his disciples would be one. And it was a prayer that wasn't just for the 12. It was a prayer for, for us as well. It was a prayer for all those who would believe in, in Jesus through the message that the original 12 disciples preached. Isn't that special? Like To know that even when Jesus had so much going on, he was thinking ahead and he was praying for us. He was praying for you and he's praying for me. And this prayer, we can find it in John chapter 17. And um, I'm going to pick it up from about verse 20. Right, so he's just been praying for his immediate 12 disciples and then he keeps going from verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may that know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. All right? Christian unity, being one in Christ is so important. Uh, when Christians are one in Christ, it's a witness to Jesus. Um, yeah, Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. See, it's a witness to the love of Jesus and it's a witness to his glory. Right, back in chapter 1, verse 27... Right, so we've been working our way through this, but back, uh, through this letter to the Philippians. But back in chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? So... What's he actually talking about here? He's talking about, you know, when he's talking about living a life that's worthy of gospel, what in spe specifically is he homing in on? It's unity and togetherness and oneness. And Paul's expectation here isn't that we Christians are going to have some kind of abstract or undefined sense of unity without having true unity at all. It's a very practical thing. You know how you know, sometimes in the church we want to give an image that we're unified and, hey, yeah, we're one in Christ, and then beyond the scenes everybody's arguing and bickering and carrying on. You know, sometimes people try to give an illusion of unity and it's all just smoke and mirrors, if you like. 
something that's, that's just an illusion. But this is something that's supposed to be a very practical thing. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, this unity that's talking about is a manner of life. And it's something you can see. It's something that can be observed and witnessed. Um, and that's what happened in this reading. Paul's in jail. He didn't see this happening himself. But others could see this, what was going on in the church. And, and mostly, he'd received a pretty good report about what was happening in Philippi. But in this respect, there, there was a bit of a bad report. He's been told that there's two women in Philippi. Um, now, I don't know, Neil, if you pronounced it right. I don't know either. We'll go Iodia and Sintashi. I don't know how to pronounce it, but let's go with that. If not, that's just become their nicknames. Now, Iodia and Sintashi, two, two women that Paul knows, but they're obviously just not getting on with each other. Now, we don't know what the issue was between them. Uh, the church in Philippi probably would have known what it was about, or they might have been guessing what it was about, but we don't know. We haven't been told in this letter what the issue was. And so it would be pointless, really, for us to try and guess what the issue was. And we shouldn't just assume. And so for us, the lesson cannot be about a certain theological or a certain doctrinal issue that they were struggling with and, and that was dividing these women, because we don't know what the issue was. And it may not have been a theological or doctrinal issue. It might have just been a simple disagreement over what brand of hand gel they should use during the latest, latest pandemic. Now, please, anybody listening to this, don't send me an email saying, Michael, didn't you know they didn't have hand gel back then? Now, I know that. I know that. But for us, the, lessons, the lesson is about the importance of Christian unity and dealing with what divides us including the little things. And Paul doesn't identify here who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And maybe neither of them were in the right. Maybe neither of them were in the wrong. In, in fact, he is at pains to treat them equally. And he pleads with them individually. He says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sintaishe to agree in the Lord. Now, Sometimes, or actually it's probably more likely often, when issues and arguments arise in the church, it can be over important theological issues and disagreements on important aspects of the Christian faith. And sometimes these issues go to the very substance of the faith of those who are involved. And so sometimes there will be a disagreement that, that represents a divide between the truth of the gospel and the lie of a devil, but, but that's, that's not what's happening here. If it was, Paul would have pulled them into, the line, into line. He, he never backed away from that. Whenever there was something really important that he needed to address, he would just lay it straight down the line. Here's the truth, and if you don't agree with that, well, you, you just either need to agree and get on board or get out. But the way these two women are described, it's obvious that they are both active servants of Jesus. They've labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. And they've worked together with other fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Right? These are Christian leaders he's talking about. But for some reason, we're not told why, Iodia and Syntache just aren't getting on. And that happens, doesn't it? You've seen it happen. We're two dedicated disciples of Jesus. For some reason or other, they just can't seem to get on. Does it matter? Too right it matters. If we who preach the reconciliation between the Holy One and our sinners, if we can't be reconciled to one another, what does that say about our message of reconciliation that we preach? You know what? The church is a messy, messy thing. We've got all sorts of people come from all sorts of different backgrounds. People of different cultures come together. People of different age groups come together. People of different levels of, of education come together. People of different political persuasions come together. People of different races come together. We have blue collar workers and white collar workers. We have city folk and country folk. And we all get thrown together in this thing called the church. Now, I'm not a sociologist, but I'm pretty sure socio sociologically, an organisation like the church would probably, should really probably be an experiment that's doomed to failure. Sociologically, I, I just can't see how something like the church could possibly work, and yet it does. In all of our messiness, the church works. Do you know why? It's because of three words that we find in verse 2 and again in verse 4. In the Lord. Paul pleads with these women to agree in the Lord. By the way, one of my pet hates is how the consumer culture of, of today has flown into the church. And um, so we find that the church has got its own consumer culture where we want to cater for a special niche market, right? And so you might find one church begin to just target the youth. Right, oh, well, we're the young person's church. If you're young, you come to this church. And then another church might lose all their young people and go, oh, well, I guess we're the old person's church then. And so this is where all the old people go as to that one. And then you might find another church go, well, we're, we're going to be the young family's church. And if you've got a young family, you come to our church. And then in a, in a bigger city, you might find a church that caters for the professionals, a different church that caters for the lower classes, another church that, that caters for the migrants. You might find another church, or we, we cater for the university students. And then you might find various other churches that, that cater for special interest groups. Now, the thing is, God has designed his church to be a diverse group of people coming together. He doesn't want us to split up and be different to one another. He wants us to come together in all of our brokenness, in all of our differences. We all come on a level equal footing. We're all sinners before God. We're all nothing. No one is better than the other. And he brings us. And he's the one who, 
who saves us and he washes us and purifies us and he changes us and he refines us and he puts us together in this thing called the church. And we begin to relate to people who were once very different to us. And we were once very different to them, but we come together and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we become a church of only young people, I'm going to miss the elderly people and their experience. If we become a church who is just the old people, I'm going to miss the young people and the enthusiasm and, and, and the drive that the Spirit gives them. Let us never begin to separate ourselves into our own little niche markets. God designed his church so that we, different people, would come together. And the togetherness, the oneness of this thing, which from a worldly perspective probably should never function, it is actually the glory of Christ. There's nothing glorious about everybody who's the same coming together. The glory is when people who are very different to one another come together and find their oneness in Jesus Christ. Because the oneness of a diverse group of people comes only from the reason for us to be together in the Lord. And it's the glory of Christ. And so Paul said, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sintoshe to agree in the Lord. Sometimes, when there's a rift between Christians, a third party is needed to step in and to help sort it out. And in verse 3, this is what happens. Paul asks another individual, and once again, we're not told his name. We have no idea who this person is. Presumably, he knew who he was, uh, but Paul described him as his true companion. So maybe the whole Philippian church knew who, who he was. I don't know. But he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel. Right? So he's saying to his mate, hey, listen, give, the, give these ladies some help, will you? Now, one of the dangers of what I'm doing, like I usually preach on a bigger pa passage of scripture. Today, we're sort of really only concentrating on about three or four verses. And a danger of that is sometimes we can forget about the rest of the letter that we've just read. And I don't want us to do that. So I want us to think back to last week and, and what we learned last week. And, and there was two highly significant things that are relevant for today. The first thing is, while we live today, we're not living for today. We're living for the future. We're keeping our eyes fixed on Christ and the upward call to glory that we have in Christ Jesus. And the second thing we learned last week was about the value of having good Christian role models. As we walk as disciples of Jesus, we're not walking alone. And so it's really important that we identify good Christian role models. And when we find a good example of somebody who is following the way of Christ, well, we should watch that person and learn from that person and do likewise. 
But sometimes we're not so good at that. Sometimes we're not so good at following the way of Christ. And sometimes we're not so good at picking a good role model. Sometimes we pick, pick a dud. And sometimes we just don't want to be influenced by anyone. What then? Should the church just give up on us and go, ooh, bad Christian. Bad Christian, we'll just give up on you. No, of course not. There is a time when responsible people in the church, usually Christian leaders, need to step in and give a bit of help. Um, now, there's, there's other times when discipline needs to be taken, but this case here that we're talking about isn't such a case. In this case, Iodia and Sintashi aren't in need of discipline. They need help. They need help to sort their relationship out so that they can come back to agreeing in the Lord. Now, that's a bit of a scary thought. Who wants to intervene in somebody else's argument? I mean, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17, Proverbs says some really wise stuff. And in, in Proverbs it says, "'Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. <laughs> it's pretty, it's saying something there, isn't it? Right? If you intervene in somebody else's quarrel, sticking your nose in where it might not really be wanted, yeah, that's just like taking a passing dog by the ears. It's going to end up in, you know what I mean? It's, we don't want to get involved in other people's arguments, do we? It's just going to come back and bite us. And because of this, often in the church, when two people aren't agreeing with each other, what do we do? We turn a blind eye, don't we? As long as, yeah, you know, it might be well known in a church that, oh, that person, that person, they just don't get on. But as long as they keep it festering away under the surface, we're okay with it. Just as long as if it doesn't get out and turn out in an all right barney in front of everybody, or we'll just let sleeping dogs lie. And we know the whole time, and it's just festering and festering and festering. Do you know what? When two people are at odds with one another in the church, it's the problem of the whole church. And so we shouldn't just let sleeping dogs lie. In the Lord Jesus Christ, relationships can be healed, and they should be healed. And sometimes, to help them to be healed, another mature Christian may need to intervene to help their brother or sister in Christ to find agreement in the Lord. On what basis do we have this togetherness and this unity that we are longing for? It's in the Lord. And so our focus needs to be in the Lord. It's interesting that yeah, sometimes we, we read this, these bits and there's this section of Philippians, it's sort of like he says a couple of words on one topic, moves on to another topic, moves on to another topic, moves on to another topic. And I try to pull it, hold it together and, and I can't always do that. But here it's, it's interesting to me that he moves on from this direct into talking about rejoicing. In verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I'll say it, rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
right? Our focus needs to be on the Lord. And when our focus is on the Lord, there's always reason to rejoice. Now, we're going to be studying that section more next week. But for now, I'm just going to say this. When Christians seem to be at odds with one another, it's usually because we're not focusing on the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about when there's an argument over some really important theological point. I'm talking about something which is more akin to a conflict of personalities, where Christians just aren't getting on for some undefined reason. And sometimes we need to be reminded to just concentrate on the Lord. And when we concentrate on the Lord, that renews our reason for rejoicing. And so in verse 5 he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word that gets translated here as reasonableness, in other translations it sometimes appears as gentleness. Uh, with the reading that I did preparing for this, I think probably graciousness may actually be a, a better word. It's sort of like when somebody makes an accusation against you, don't retaliate in kind. It's like the graciousness that God has for us. Right? God doesn't pay us back what we deserve. Let's face it, if God paid me back what I deserve, things wouldn't go well for me. God has been gracious to me. And that's the way that I should be to others in the church. And God has been gracious to you, and that's the way that you should be to others. Well, not just in the church, but, but in the church as well. We should be gracious to one another. And sometimes we need another mature Christian to come alongside of us to remind us of that. So, let's get real here. Let's get personal. Are you at odds with another person? For some reason, you just don't get on. You might not even know <laughs> what that reason is. Well, how about you find a, a mature Christian role model? Now, this is going to take a bit of humility, but to find somebody who you respect and ask him or her to help you and that other person to begin to agree in the Lord. Or have you noticed a brother or a sister in Christ who, who are at odds with somebody else in the church? Perhaps God might be calling you to be the one that helps that other person to reconcile. Don't shy away from it. Because unity in the church, it's not just for us. It's for the glory of Christ. You know, if we want to think about the image of the church, a lot of us go, oh, I want our church to be really happy and vibrant and, 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 and the singing, it's just going to be awesome and amazing and we might even have smoke machine and lights and, 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 and that's just going to give a really good impression of the church. Do you think God's interested in that stuff? You know what, God, you know what demonstrates the glory of God? Not that stuff. What demonstrates the glory of God when people who are very different to each other come together and are one 
And what demonstrates the glory of God is when even we start to rub rub one another and start to upset one another, when those relationships are actually reconciled and healed and we're truly united again, one in the Lord, that's what shows the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your graciousness to us. Lord, I'm reminded of the parable you told about the unforgiving servant. You have forgiven us so much. And yet at times, we've been a people who hold grudges. And we've been a people who refuse to forgive. And we've been a people who sometimes let minor disagreements become a buried thorn that festers and destroys relationships in the church. Oh, God, forgive us. And, Lord, we pray that together you would help us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be a people who rejoice and that we would rejoice together, that we would be reasonable to others, that we would be gracious to each other as you are gracious to us. And, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon the peacemakers in your church. Just as Paul encouraged the one he calls his true companion, Lord, we pray for peacemakers, for godly men and women to come alongside those who are at odds with one another and to help them to agree in the Lord, to be reconciled in the Lord, to be one in the Lord. And Lord, we pray all this so that we would be a people who bring you glory by the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name.